Are you infected by a virus? You know, I'm not real smart sometimes, and I go to Webster's or Wikipedia to look for a definition to enlighten me, and sometimes these, uh, I know uh, two doctors and some nurses in here will understand what this is saying. Here's, here's Webster's definition of a virus. Any of various submicroscopic pathogens consisting essentially of a core and a single nucleic acid surrounded by a protein coat, having the ability to replicate only inside a living cell. In simple terms, it's this. Influenza A is a virus, and it's killed over 167 people, and 53 of those are children. So we understand how deadly that a virus can be. We're in a series about Facebook um, in the technological world of computers. There are viruses that we get them, and they can do a lot of damage to uh, our computers. Here's a guy that kind of explains that virus. Uh, let's watch. <coughs> computer viruses can wreak havoc with your personal computer, and they also cause billions of dollars in damage and lost productivity for businesses. Viruses have the ability to replicate. When you run an infected program, the virus loads itself into memory and starts running as well. From there, it has the ability to infect other programs. When a virus finds an uninfected program, it adds itself to it. Then if you give that program to a friend, either through email or a floppy disk, your friend's computer gets infected as well. The latest viruses are email viruses. They're actually a lot simpler than a normal virus. They require a human being to help them along. When you open an infected email message and click on the attachment, the email virus looks at your address book and sends itself to all of your friends. You can protect your computer from most viruses by running antivirus software and by never opening email attachments unless you know what they do. So that's how viruses work. I'm Marshall Brain and that's how stuff works. Probably a lot of you been hacked, and you get these strange emails from people. Uh, this has happened to me two or three times. Somebody hacked me and sent out an email to all my friends that I was stranded in Germany or England or some other country. And uh, uh, if, if things would have worked out the way they did, I'd still be in Germany and England because nobody responded to that. So. <laughs> you come in here some morning and I'm missing, you'll know what happened. But anyhow, that, that was funny. And then you get, I get all kinds of ads that I know that you guys didn't, people didn't send me. So I, and then somebody, whoever owns the email, will, you know, email back and say, hey, you've been hacked. Just don't pay any attention to this. So <clears throat> the next time I do that, I'm going to put an offshore account in the Caymans so we, you really will send that money and it'll go there and you won't think it's me. So I'm going to try to figure, figure that out how somebody yes, can do that. So like he said, you can buy antivirus software to protect your computer. There are many, McAfee, Norton, Total Defense, Bullguard, and many more. But the Bible tells us that there's a different kind of virus that doesn't affect our PCs, our personal computers. It infects our PLs, our personal lives, and the Bible calls this virus sin, and it's a bug that you and I will deal with as long as this whole heart is beaten. We're not going to get away from it. So we have to come to some conclusions in our spiritual life, what we're going to do with that and how we're going to deal with it. And that's what the Word of God does, and Paul's reminding the Ephesians about 
some of these bugs that can get into us and maybe even come into the church where they have no place. Ephesians chapter 5, 3 through 5 tells us this. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God, and you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is really an idolater who worships the things of the world. So Paul's bringing up these viruses or these sins in this text. Sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse jokes. In the third verse, he says, But among you there must not be any, not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So reading the previous chapter in chapter 4, 17 through 24, Paul describes in general terms the putting off of the old self. And we've been through this a lot. When we come into the kingdom... The new self comes in when we accept Christ, and the Scripture says we become a new creation, a new creature, so to speak. But here, the problem lies in this, that we've still got the old nature, and that's why Paul said we need to crucify it every day, because it hangs on, and it's still with you. And as I've said a million times, and I'll continue to say, because this word picture works for a simple mind like mine, the old nature wants you to go back to the mud. It wants you to go back and wallow in that. And that's what these bugs do. They get in us and they want to take us, they want to take us back. So that's, in these verses, Paul was trying to describe that. In 25 through 31 of chapter 4, he describes particular sins of speech and personal animosities. So then he, he continues. He continues to add to the list in chapter 5, 3 through 4, describing actions that are unsuitable among the Christian community. He keeps saying over, they're not supposed to be this in church. You're supposed to be able to deal with that and work through it where, where there, these things are not evident. Sexual immorality includes any kind of sexual perversion. There must not even be a hint of that, he said. And it, it goes along with what Jesus said on Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. If you even look at a woman and lust in your heart, you're committing adultery. I always think of things that I should say and then the angel on my shoulder says, eh, it's probably not a good idea. I think us as men and women, we try to, to figure each other out. But, but sometimes the way uh, women dress sometimes, it's, it's a little tough on us men. I, I just want to throw that out. I'm not going to point out any kind of clothing or whatever, but yoga pants come to mind for me. So, uh. <laughs> Man, how, <laughs> it's just the way it is. I, I don't know. I, I think about that, and I, and I know that's on us, and we, you know, with this whole thing of sexual harassment and whatever, and I'm guilty of it every day because I'm always telling people they look nice or whatever. I hug people, and Tom McClanahan and I will be in the same jail in Solomon County Community Jail, so you guys are invited to come visit us. But anyhow, my friend up here, the head deputy, he'll let you in on occasion. So what? Uh, I make light of stuff, and maybe that I shouldn't, but nonetheless, this is a huge problem in the world, in, our, in, the, in the church, actually. That's why Paul has hammered it. Because in those days, we think things are worse They're not much different, really. It's just a little more projected with the Internet and 
and media and on and on. In pagan Roman society, this was all allowed. You know, I've talked about Corinth that had, had uh, free prostitutes for men and women. All you had to do is walk in and have sex with them. It was just that way. And in Roman pagan society, it was pretty much everywhere. The Romans were huge into pornography. On a place called Masada, down by the Dead Sea, Herod the Great had a temple. The Romans uh, took that over. and That's a whole other story. I'm not going to get into that now. But they built these bathhouses up here, up there, and on the walls it's all pornography. And there's other places that you go in the Middle East where you see that because they were really into that. And Paul said, no, this does not or should not exist in the Christian community. You, you, have, you have traded your allegiance from Satan to Christ now, and things should be different in your life. Neither should there be any kind of impurity. As in 419, impurity is aligned with a lifestyle bent on fulfilling every indulgence. He's talking about hedonism. The, the, the act of whatever you do, the whole drive is pleasing yourself. The focus is probably on sexual indulgence as well. And then he mentioned greed. To, refers to an inordinate desire for anything, wanting something so much that one sacrifices everything to get it. Again, this could be focused on sexual immorality, and it gets into adultery. He, with David, wanted somebody else's wife. It gets into all kinds of sexual addictions and sex outside of marriage. The Bible says that that is wrong. No hint of these sins should be found in the church. Why? Because they are improper for God's holy people. They're improper. We should not live them. We should not have them in our lives. God's people should exhibit His attributes. These attitudes and these viruses, these sins that he's mentioning here, are totally opposite to what God, God is like. Not even a hint, not even a smidgen, not even just a lint, piece of lint, nothing, absolutely nothing. If you've ever owned a big dog like a German Shepherd, a Doberman, or a Rottweiler, or a Pit Bull, you know how important it is to make sure the dog knows who its master is. Kept under control, a dog like this can be a tremendous source of joy and benefit to its family, welfare, welfare and security. Out of control, these dogs can become dangerous beasts. On the other hand, an out-of-control chihuahua doesn't present much of a danger. <laughs> that might be an ankle biter, but nonetheless, he's probably not going to get up on any vital organs. That's a great picture, isn't it? I'm trying to think of some people I know that kind of reminds me of, and I'm not going to say their names. Paul is mentioning these verses to say how powerful and hard to control they are. Because we, we are steeped in it. We live in it. It surrounds us it's all the time, pretty much. That's why I think Paul's language is so harsh here. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. He knew, Paul knew how hard it was to control lust and greed and vulgar language and idolatry. Like a good trainer, he wanted believers to get control of these beasts and keep them under control. How do you deal with them? The way I do it is it's in our obedience training and being relentless in that and saying, help me, Jesus, about a thousand times today. Verse 4. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Obscenity and, of course, joking are so common that we begin to take them for granted. Paul cautioned this about this. 
I think sometimes the use of language by believers stems from the desire to be inconspicuous to those around them. Principle of sacrifice for convenience on the particular occasion, and we just want to fit in. I think too, too many of us sometimes are like spiritual chameleons. If you know what a chameleon is, it's a lizard that changes colors or whatever the background. If it's on a blue sh- shirt, it becomes blue. If it's on a red shirt, it becomes red. And I think, and I've been guilty of this. You want to fit in so bad, especially with your peers, wherever you're at. So you become, you start to act like them. But here's my point. Christ said on the Sermon on the Mount, you're to be salt and light. You're to flavor this society, not to become like it. And that therein. The line is drawn on that, and Paul is, that's what he's, he's bringing this all up for. Throughout this section, Paul told the believers not to just get rid of some types of attitudes and activities, but to replace them with others. So here, obscene, silly, and vulgar talk is to be replaced by thanksgiving. It makes a difference in a crowd of people if you join in and with, with our, whatever the language, whatever the story, you join in with that, it, it makes a lot difference than when you try to interject some thoughts of thanksgiving to God, which a lot of folks don't want to hear, but it, I don't think that should keep us from saying it. <laughs> I, I've, I've had a lot of stuff happen to me in, in my 67 years. I was in a psychology class uh, in Highland College in Freeport, Illinois, and we had a professor that every other word was the F word. In class, a mixed class with college men and women. It, there wasn't much I could do about it, so I just sat there and endured it. We went around the class one day, and this professor was saying, well, why'd you take this class? Because was, it was odd because all these other people were kids, and I was 40 years old. I stuck out, if you will, but nonetheless, he got to me, and he said, sir, why did you take my psychology class? I said, well, I'm a pastor at the Laurel Street Church of God, and I think it could help me, and so he had this mock look on his face, and he covered his mouth, and he said, oh, I bet I've offended you. Nah, it didn't bother me, but you sure offended God. He moved on. That's what, you, that's what you say. You say stuff like that. He, 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 couldn't, he didn't know what to respond to that. Didn't cut down the language, though. <laughs> that was like boot camp. I didn't know my name when I got out of there. I kept waiting for the F word to say, hey, you know. I thought that was my name, Private F, you know. To... It, it's bizarre to me. When you hear that stuff and you do, it, it gets in your psyche. It really does. It's an amazing thing. And I probably shouldn't have said all that, so I apologize. And no one will hear it because we're on the Internet. And that's the thing about this. That's the thing about a, a big mouth. I'm going to get into that in a minute. So uh, it hurts the cause of Christ when we do that. Earlier in Ephesians, God tells us, Do not let any else wholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Ephesians 4.29. Colossians 3.8 says it this way, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Jesus condemned the Pharisees. 
to try to get a grip on this, I, I just, I'm just reading O'Reilly's book, Killing Jesus. And in this, he, he talks about the Pharisees, and he, he tells you about their life. There were 6,000 Pharisees in Israel at the time of Christ, and they were the only ones that had the truth and the Word. And whatever they said went. And they had put themselves so high, there wasn't a middle class. There were Pharisees and lower class. Nobody else was even close to these guys. And they thought they had the corner on the religious market, and, and they abused. I, I, could get, I read a book about them. It's amazing. They abused children. If they'd want your daughter, all they'd have to do is come to your house and extract her because they were Pharisees. They could do what they want. They cheated people out. I could, you know, like I said, I could go on and on. So you try to set that stage of, of what Christ's words would have done to them. Matthew 12, 34 through 36. It's, it's no wonder they wanted to kill him. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings forth good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. On Facebook, I think there's a lot of this overflowing of the heart going on. People here uh, are not speaking, but they're writing what's in their hearts. It's a reflection of their hearts. And a lot of that writing is filled with obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, and there's a whole lot of unwholesome stuff going on there. It's just like we as followers of Christ can damage our witness with one or two words or one or two posts. It's just like that. People are attacked, they're ridiculed, they're bullied, they're called names, they're flirted with, they're subjected to all kinds of abusive language and connotations. Slanderous remarks one after the next. And I think it's come into this culture, and we have to understand that this is not a fad, a fleeting moment. It might evolve and mutate into something else, but Facebook is going to be around. They might call us something else, but it'll all still be the same. It's an important medium of communication. It's not going away, and we as believers have to see how we're going to deal with it. And we pray and we think, is there any way on this whole massive web that we can interject Christ in that? That is the point. We need to be careful because the world is watching. Here, here's some thoughts on Facebook about hate speech. Let's watch. Facebook's content rules are under scrutiny again. A recent ProPublica report gives greater insight about how Facebook determines who to protect from hate speech on the platform. The outlet obtained an internal presentation outlining Facebook's content rules. Basically, it protects some groups of people from harassment while leaving posts targeting other groups alone. Non-protected subsets of protected groups are fair game for targeting. One slide illustrated that a post attacking all white men should be taken down, while attacks on women drivers or black children are to be left up. This is just the latest publication of Facebook's internal documents about content moderation, including how they dealt with tricky legal situations like Holocaust denial and online extremism. Offensive content is increasingly putting Facebook and other social media giants at odds with governments around the world. A bill recently proposed in Germany would fine companies $53 million if they don't remove content quickly enough. The problem is only going to get more complex as Facebook's user base grows. The site recently passed 2 billion monthly users. I think that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. 2 billion monthly users. 
And who on earth would ever post anything negative about women drivers? Gee whiz, I don't know about that. But, uh... And you know this problem with words, it's, it's not an internet problem. It's been around a long, long time. James writes this. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That is strong language, is it not? All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a relentless evil full of deadly poison. James chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Who in here could not raise their hand and say, I have said things that I shouldn't have said? Some of them's mild, but they hurt. A few years ago at Sam's, I was in the glasses department, and there was a lady with a protruding stomach. Not to point Davis out, but Davis is going to have a baby. She's really pregnant. But I said, when you do, she said, I'm not pregnant. Well, I tell you, foot in the mouth, what do you say? A friend of mine up in Decatur was sitting in a waiting room with a lady, had her hands on her belly. He leaned over and he says, when you do, she said, do for what? So you get my point. It, 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 I've said a lot of things that, that I shouldn't. I should have retracted them, but, but they're out there and you can't do that. You don't need a computer to say mean and hateful things. You don't need the Internet to undermine the cause of Christ by what you say with this tongue. How do you solve the problem of the tongue? You confront the sin. I read about a youth pastor that found a novel way to, to confront immoral Facebook postings in his youth group. He said, I've read some of my youth group members' posts in front of my youth group. That put a stop to it. Why would that put a stop to it? Well, because when the church does its part in confronting sin, sin backs off. The light of Christ, the light of the gospel exposes the darkness. Ephesians 5, 11 through 14 have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So uh, godly leadership, good godly friends will hopefully lovingly confront our brothers and sisters who don't do what they should be doing. If I was to tell you in the next few minutes I was going to put some of your Facebook pages on the big screen, would any of you be nervous? What would we find? Would we find the same person that's sitting in that seat right now? Would we find the same language that's coming out of your lips while you're in, in this building? Even if I said it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you, or I'm just showing tough love, I think that's the point we need to remind each other when we step over the line. In our love for Christ and our love for each other, I think we can take people aside and in confidence, not blurt it out in a room full of people, but you guys say, well, you know what, I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't know if that's good for you or not. And that's hard for us to do because sometimes our own lives aren't where they should be. It's the whole... Well, I talk about a speck of dirt in somebody else's eye when you've got a whole tree sticking out of yours. It's that kind of thing. But th so that's why we need to be where we need to be in Christ, actually. We need to be this guy to each other. 
or in a closer context, uh, the head deputy. I don't know. I've not tested him. I've not seen him in a speed trap and went by him 90 miles an hour in a 30. He might pull me over and I'd probably, I don't know what he'd do actually, but I didn't mean to put him on the spot, but you know what I'm saying. Do you love each other? I think it depends on that. How much do you really love each other or do you, we just see each other as weekly acquaintances? You can, you know, it's nice to see you here or whatever, but I'm not really going to be interested in your life. But there's times to time that we need to be that close. We need to be interested in each other's lives to point that stuff out. So I'm sure in the morning it'll start in my office and there'll be a line of you all the way down the steps trying to point something out that you didn't think maybe I did right or said. I don't know. We should be so in love with Christ that we realize how badly we can hurt our Savior when we say or write things that shouldn't be said or, or written. So how do we do that? Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 35. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. It's simple. The evil that comes out of us is stored in our hearts. It's, amazing. it's an amazing thing of all the input that you and I take in in our lives, not just on a daily or a weekly or a monthly or a yearly basis, but all the things that we've heard that aren't right, that aren't good, that aren't wholesome, if you will. I've been with people when they died and heard different stories that you take that in. You don't, you don't get rid of it. It's not like you've got a delete button that you can erase or delete some of these things. They stick. You just don't try not to think about them or say them. But you, you'd be amazed at the people, godly people, that would never, ever say anything obscene of what pours out of them when they're dying because they've lost control. They've lost control of their faculties. They've lost control of their bodies. So all of this stuff that's been stored in their life, a lot of times at the point of death, when they get down toward the end, it seems to come pouring out of them. You know the computer experts have a very scientific phrase to describe this process, garbage in, garbage out. Confession is great for the soul. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think a lot depends on what we take in, who you hang out with. We should try to protect ourselves and our children from these negative influences, but it's tough, isn't it? We're surrounded by foul language and ideas in many parts of our lives. We find them in movies and songs and TV and talk shows, especially late night when sometimes they, I don't watch them much, but you'll see clips of it. Books, magazines, internet, it's almost everywhere. Those of you that work in places like this, out in the workplace, I've been there, done that. You're surrounded by foul language, constant drama and people gossiping and attacking each other with slanderous words. We're surrounded by a lot of people who say a lot of harsh things. Paul was trying to explain to the people that he wrote his letters, this is not paradise. You live in a pagan world. It's always going to be like this. So you, as a person, as a follower of Christ, have to decide how you're going to live in this world and how you're going to deal with that. 
When you hear people bad-mouthing or gossip, do you, it, 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 we always have a tendency maybe to want to jump in, but you might give that a second thought. That's what the Scripture teaches to be in the world and not of it. Jesus said a good man stores up good things in his heart. What kind of good things? This is our antivirus. You talk about antivirus that we get for our computers. This is our antivirus as followers of Christ. Text this morning, Ephesians says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place. But rather what? Thanksgiving, Ephesians 5, 4. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 echoes this when it says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, 17 says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We need to fill our hearts with an attitude of gratitude. And we need to fill them up so much that when we are in the world, that we, it, the, the gratefulness and thankfulness that's coming out of us does not allow. It's like, it's like um, lost in space when they had that shield. Put the shield up. You put that shield up. It, it, it's that, it, and that's what he does. Jesus is our hedge of protection in this world. And you can either use him or not. What God is telling us is a heart filled with thanks is our virus protector. Someone said it like this. In our English language, there is no such thing as being half full of thanks or gratitude. We either are thankful or grateful. You know, sometimes, I think it's once a week maybe, that my computer will come up and you push a button and it runs a scan. It runs a virus scan, looks for junk trace like that. And that's, that's what the Holy Spirit does with us. It's just you in your seat this morning. There might be people, people around you. But there are sins in our life that only God knows. Your spouse might live with you 50 years. And you've got a secret sin. They might not ever know it because you're good at hiding it. And Satan can make us really deceptive. I've known people that's had affairs for years and never got caught. And that's just an example. But here's the point. When it gets to this point, it's just you and God, nobody else. Block everybody else out. So I'm going to ask you this morning as the Holy Spirit points these things out, is there any hint of these sins in your life, any sexual immorality, any impurity, any greed, any obscenity, any foolish talk, any coarse jokes? Would you bow your head with me now? In this moment of silence, Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to do a scan of all of our hearts and our minds. And if it picks up something that we need to confess that we might do that in this moment. Lord, as we pause, our hearts are exposed. We can try. We can't hide our heart from you. And as your children, Holy Spirit, you, have, you live within us. You have free reign. And you can shine that light in the corners of our heart right now. And maybe if there's some things that don't need to be there that we might just say, Jesus, forgive me. And, and you do. That's how it works. Then you say, forgive me, and the delete button is pushed and they are erased forever.
That's how God works. And we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, we live in the age of grace, and you're cutting us, cut, cutting us tons of slack. <laughs> but as we read our word and get farther into it, and we ever stumble into the book of Revelation, we find a whole different picture, a whole different world, if you will, Lord, because you've held your wrath back upon the earth, or we would be obliterated for the sin that we commit. And the things that are happening in this world that are so obscene that they can't hardly be talked about. But you've promised us for a spell that you would put us in this world to bring others to you, Lord, and through your great love. But there's a day coming, Lord. Judgment day is coming. It's not going to be what we think it's going to be. As we get into the revelation, we find God as your wrath is poured out on this earth in the bowls and the vials and the trumpets. It's a whole different story because this wrath has been building up. But because of your great love and the blood sacrifice of you, Christ, that you've held that back, yeah, you, you punish us sometimes in chastisement and you speak to us, but nah, we've not seen the wrath of God. It's coming. And Lord, more than anything else, I want everybody in this place and everybody that hears my voice this morning to escape that. And I want people that I love to escape it. I shudder to think of what the judgment will be like. And you've given us an out. You've given us such an out, Lord, that all we have to do is confess our sins and repent that we're going to change and, and follow you. And then we come into your kingdom and you put up with our whining and our sniffling and our getting back and forth in the mud 50,000 times. But you don't kick us out. It's like the song said, Lord, that we're going to sing here. Your reckless love hangs on. But what's important and most paramount this morning, Lord, that we are your children. So right now, Lord, as we sing this song, as you speak to our hearts, may we respond. If there are sins to be confessed, if we haven't done it already, we need to do it now. If we're not your children, we need to really ponder that question and the implications of that. That you might bring these, some of these folks, Lord, that don't know you, bring them home to you. So right now, Father, we just pray we're open to you. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen. You need prayed with or you want to know how to find Christ, come on down.